Welcome to Unconditional Love Ministries with Bishop Malcolm Smith. This is episode number 35, recorded December 17, 2012, The Eye of Faith. For more information and more teachings by Malcolm Smith and Unconditional Love Ministries, please visit www.malcolmsmith.org. This audio podcast is sponsored by Liquid Networks and WebVision Graphics, providing quality, affordable websites and website hosting to your small business, church, ministry, or nonprofit organization. We understand how the web works, so you don't have to. Get your free quote today by visiting www.webvisiongraphics.com. And now, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And I want to continue our story of Caleb and the kind of faith that that man had. I, I, I would say that it is something that all of us should pursue, that when we find a person of faith, then we should study them and follow their example and see what it was that they saw and understood. And that's what we're doing with Caleb. And I want to read some of the verses we read last week. Uh, So Numbers in chapter 13. And in verse 30, if you remember, the 12 scouts had gone into the land that had been promised to them in covenant. It was their God-given inheritance. And now they come back after six weeks of scouting out the land and there it's it splits between 10 of them are uh, in panic and and saying yes the land is everything god said it was but we we can never never have that land it's full of gigantic people and then one of them apparently he was not sure and his name is Joshua who became of course the Joshua who actually led them into the land. But the other fellow, Caleb, right from the get-go, certainly he didn't have to make up his mind. Uh, As he walked through the land, he walks with a certain step of faith. And when he returns, as the ten of them are wailing in terror at what they had seen and come to report, as Joshua was apparently sitting in his tent uh, wrestling with his own self, he speaks with authority, the authority of faith. And so in verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of the land, for we shall surely overcome it. But the men, that's the ten, who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. It's like walking into the mouth of a monster will chew you up and spit you out. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great or gigantic size. 
There we also saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, as part of the Nephilim, that they are there throughout the Old Testament as these, and I'll, I'll cut to the chase, they were demonized persons of great size. And then they said, and so they saw these gigantic demonized people, and we, they said, we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices, cried, people wept all night, and they grumbled against Moses and Aaron and says we should have died in Egypt and the Lord has brought us up here to kill us all. Would that it have been better for us to return to Egypt? It, it was the beginning of a lynch mob and certainly they are voting, and that was around three million people, they're voting to return to Egypt. And so they said, let us appoint a leader, get rid of Moses and Aaron, and return to Egypt. And then um, Caleb again, he speaks again. And he says in verse 7, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, and as I said last week, that word if doesn't suggest maybe perhaps, it is rather we would say seeing that the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. And do not rebel against the Lord, do not fear the people of the land, they shall become our prey. Their protection has been removed from them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Okay. And the very words we finished with last week were in Hebrews in chapter 4. And at the end of chapter 3 of Hebrews into chapter 4, he, the writer to Hebrews, is speaking of these chapters we're just now reading. And he says in verse four, verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore let us fear, or, I mean, do not, do not be casual about this, while a promise remains of entering his rest, that any one of you should seem to have come short of it. That is, if there's one promise that is there and you have not yet received it. For indeed, we have had the good news preached to us, just as they also, the they being these people that we're reading about. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in the hearts of those who heard it. Okay. What we're looking at, Israel and these 12 scouts um, that went into the land to spy it out. Let, let's, let's try and get inside their minds. It's of supreme importance because we, can, we cannot just pass this over. For around 450 to 500 years, these people had been the slaves of the Pharaoh in Egypt. Now let that sink in. You can say that quickly and it just passes over your head. But 450 years, 
generation passed to generation passed to generation they had been treated by the pharaoh the the supreme uh, uh, king of egypt who believed himself to be a god he had crushed them oppressed them abused them and i say again understand it this was passed from father to son from father to son it was the way things were they had long forgotten what freedom even tasted like and all of that was in a culture of demon gods i say that i mean gods they they were demons who would present themselves and were worshipped as gods and the Egyptians had, I don't know how many hundreds of them, and, and, and everywhere you turned in Egypt, there was the oppressing darkness of demonized temples and priests, and this, this was where they lived, generation after generation after generation. But somewhere in the middle of those people of Israel, they carried their inheritance. It, it, I don't know. I'm trying to get inside their head because it had been over 500 years before uh, that the Lord had spoken to Abraham, who was the beginning of this nation. A and he had spoken to Abraham with first of all a promise and then with a covenant in which God himself swore by himself that he would do it. And in that he said that this people would be blessed. They would be, that is, empowered, enlivened and made fruitful and everything they touched would be blessed. That was the promise and that they would receive this land of Canaan that we're talking about as their inheritance, and Canaan would become the center of this blessed people and would be the place where ultimately this God of covenant would bless every family of the earth, which of course was speaking of Jesus. They, they held that. Now, how they held it? passed on from father to children around campfires. After the long day was over, they would tell the story again and again, and it went on and on through the years. The, the covenant promise that had been made to them centuries before. <clears throat> and along with that would go, definitely, the story of Joseph, who was the one who actually brought them to Egypt. If you remember the story at the end of Genesis, Joseph had been taken to Egypt as a slave, and then he was promoted to be prime minister, which was just about lord of all Egypt and the known world, and he blessed the world. You remember the story. And in his process of being a slave it was constantly said the Lord blessed Joseph and the Lord was with Joseph and led him through those nightmare years to fulfill his promise to him and when Joseph brought his brothers in the founders of the 12 tribes 
uh, they came in as highly favored people and given the best land that they could have adjacent to the Nile, the River Nile. And when Joseph had died, his dying command to his brothers was when, notice that, when you go into the land of Canaan, when you return from Egypt into Canaan, carry my bones with you because I do not want to remain buried in Egypt. I belong in the land of Canaan, our inheritance. All of this was passed on. They knew this. They memorized it as ancient peoples did. And then, of course, came Moses and the plagues. And those plagues systematically destroyed, before all of Egypt, the, the, the demon gods. They were shown to be nothing because every one of the plagues was something that the Egyptians worshipped from the river Nile, through frogs, through locusts, through wind, and so on. Uh, And every part of their demonic uh, hierarchy of phony deities was collapsed. And Israel watched it. And that whole culture of darkness that had been part of the oppression just was swept away in front of them. And they were there. These people that we're talking about were there when the Red Sea opened and they walked through on the bed of the Red Sea and could look at a wall of water on either side and they, these people came up the other side of the sea and they watched as Pharaoh's army was drowned as they tried to follow them. They were there. That wasn't second hand. The, the mud oozed through their toes and they could reach out and touch a wall of water. They were there. And then, as they were hungry in the ensuing wilderness, these people were the ones who went out to the edge of the camp and they picked up, no one knew what it was, that's why they called it manna, which in Hebrew means, what is it? They picked it up, it was God food that was provided every morning. These people, these they saw that, they felt it, they put it in their mouths. These people saw Moses take his rod of authority and strike a rock, and out of the rock in a desert that hadn't seen rain in I don't know how long, out of that rock came water to water the entire people. They saw it. They scooped up the water from the heart of God into their own mouths. They they saw that. And these people had been at Mount Sinai and they had heard the voice of God. They were the only people that ever did actually hear the voice of God coming out of his glory made manifest on Mount Sinai. And there... He's telling them that they were his special people, that they they were beloved and they had a destiny to bring the love purposes of God to the world. And in Exodus 20, when he gave the Ten Commandments, it begins, I am the Lord, your God. 
He gave himself, gave himself to them. I'm your God. And he said, I am the one that delivered you out of the oppression of Egypt. (laughs) Oh, yeah. He made it very plain. He was their God. He was on their side. He was one with them. And then the law that was given, I mean, to us, I, I suppose we could almost read it without noticing, but it was a law. And I, I know what later generations would do with that law and turn it into something oppressive, but the law as it was given, it, it, it gave the, remember, slaves abused with no rights. And here was a law that honored them as human beings, gave them dignity, gave them rights to their own life, owners of their life, true freedom in which they could own property like the land of Canaan that God said, I've given to you, and the honor of honoring others. So that a freedom, a freedom to love. And if anyone comes against you or stands in your way of my promise, he said to them in Leviticus 26, which was given to them at Mount Sinai, he said, my power shall be upon you. You will be blessed and you, just one of you, shall chase and But if ten of you come together, thousands will flee before you because your enemies will see you bigger and more powerful than you are. Your weakness will be a container of my strength. You would think, I mean, they left Sinai and came right here to Numbers 13, just, a, a, just down the desert road. They come to Kadesh Barnea, and right there, I mean, they're at the border, and they're looking across into the land. You would think, after all I've just said, that these people would be at a total divine rest and expectancy of God fulfilling his word. Yet when these scouts, and these scouts, they were not just um, nobody. These were the appointed by the tribes. They were among the leadership of the tribes. Of all persons, they knew what I've just said. But once they, this is it, you see, once they looked, it was how they looked. They they looked at Canaan, which was given to them by God. But they, they, they saw the gigantic demonized chaps there, uh, and they saw the size of their cities, they saw the difficulty, and they pressed the default button, and immediately were thinking as their ancestors thought. They saw themselves as slaves, but but just a minute, you you were there at the Exodus, you were there at Sinai, but they, they immediately, they've gone back, just, just like that. They're back to seeing themselves as slaves. Let, let me say, this is a sidebar, but it's very important. It doesn't matter what you know about. You could have memorized the whole Bible. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter. 
You, 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 just knowing about it, your, your degree with honor from a theological institution means nothing. And I mean that. Nothing. These people knew all that I just laid out. And at the first appearance of opposition, of something that looked like the opposite of what God had said, they hit default. And they're back there in Egypt in their mind as if nothing has happened. And they see themselves as worthless, unworthy. They see themselves just as they used to, as the property of Pharaoh. They, they have no rights. They, they have no worth enough to stand up for themselves. And they, they, they saw themselves as dishonored, disrespected. There's the, I can almost see their shoulders hunching over. They, they've suddenly become victims of the promise of God, victims of Canaan and what lay there. They, they see themselves as, as nothings of no consequence. And the truth of the covenant that they had heard about and memorized for 450 years and the miracles and the presence of a living God who loved them and brought them out of Egypt, that all seemed as remote as the Milky Way. The truth of the covenant became just a interesting curiosity. The truth that they lived by is that this land that God has given us will destroy us, and we are nobodies, and we are worthless, and... We can't take it. It's as if they had looked into the mirror of truth and they saw themselves as God saw them and they could think of themselves as God thought of them and then they turned away from the mirror and forgot everything that they had seen and they returned to the mind of a slave. That's what Hebrews 4 is talking about. It says, they heard the good news, and he's likening it to us. We've heard the good news. And, of course, our good news is the full, full fulfillment of the good news that they heard. So, so we're sort of in the same boat here. They heard the good news. But, says the writer to Hebrews, it was not united to faith. They heard it, but as soon as there was opposition in the path, everything that they had heard and all the words that they knew became pointless. Because it wasn't mixed or united with faith. That's why they defaulted to a victim mentality. Poor us, poor wretched us. The land is going to devour us. We can't go in. Victim, slave, worthless, no rights. I'm abused. You should see my parents, what they went through, and then my grand is in the generation, you see. This is who I am. 
I, I hope over these weeks you've heard me because I've said this so many times. Who do you say I am? And, and these people, having heard the definition that God had of them, God said, this is who you are. They defaulted to their ancestral history and said, no, 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 this is who I am. And the idea of taking authority and taking what God gave and actually owning property that God would give them, overcoming oppressors, abusers, all that now seemed absolutely foolishness. And as these fellows, the ten of them, walked through the land, they came to a conclusion and they said, we saw ourselves. As we looked at these great cities that were as monstrous as the people who lived in them, and of course they were, we, we know that the persons, these sons of Anak as they're called, they were extremely large, but not mythically so. Uh, I mean, there are people in the world today as big as they, those people, and they were demonized, and, um, but it, it did seem bigger than life because the Hebrew people would be shorter. Uh, I, I would be pretty big to the Hebrews of this uh, part of the Bible. They were much shorter. And, and so they, yeah, they, 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 they looked up at these people and they looked up at these great walls and they said, we, we, we were grasshoppers, grasshoppers. I, I've talked about this before. It's one of those verses in the Bible that were life-changing to me uh, many decades ago. When they looked at themselves, they, through their own remembrances of slavery, now in this new situation of Canaan, and they turned in and looked at themselves, self-looking at self, and said, we were grasshoppers. Now, I don't know where you live, but here in Texas, on the ranch here, um, we, we have, I don't know, probably millions of grasshoppers at the right time of year. And grasshoppers, they, you know what I mean, the little, little fellows that jump all over the place. Um, really and truly, um, they're of no consequence. I mean, we're not afraid of grasshoppers in terms of what they might do to something growing. They're just hopping around and, and chirping. And I suppose that can be the only annoying part of it, if they're all chirping at once. But they're, they're insignificant insects. And, I mean, very small and they're so harmless. I don't know how many times walking in the pasture or sitting on the porch and one of these little things comes and lands on you. And they they obviously didn't plan on that, but they just did. And it's almost as if they look at you and say, Isaiah, I'm awfully sorry, and hop off again. Um, harmless, insignificant, no one's afraid of them. I mean, there's something kind of, 
what can I say, they're, they're funny in their own little way. And of course, um, you don't look for them. You don't go around saying, I've got to be careful, I don't tread on a grasshopper. No, you just walk and I... They either get out of the way or I guess they get trodden on, though I've never done that deliberately, but I'm sure they do because they're so small and so insignificant. Is either be trodden on or hop out of the way. And they live all over our land, but they have no rights there. You, you get the picture, don't you? The, when these scouts said that we saw ourselves as grasshoppers, they were defining themselves as if, as if the covenant that had been handed to them from generation to generation as if the exodus from Egypt that they had participated in, as if the voice of God from Mount Sinai, as if all that had never happened. We're just grasshoppers. We are an apology to the human race. Just little old me, worthless, a victim, abused all my life and my family before me. God? Oh, I believe in God, but he's remote. He doesn't care. He doesn't know. He's disinterested. They defined, hear me carefully, they defined the appearance of things as final truth. And they allowed their lives to be dictated, shaped, formed, by what they saw and the appearance and the feelings evoked by the appearance. That's what defined them. Good Lord. They defined themselves by the size of the problem. And they defined their ability to handle it by comparing themselves to the gigantic impossibility of the problem. Go back over that. It's so important in our lives. And of course, in all of that, they looked at God's word to them as pretty much a myth. I mean, they wouldn't say it didn't happen, but it's irrelevant. We don't take it seriously. The Bible speaks again in the book of Hebrews, actually. It speaks of the evil heart of unbelief. Unbelief is not just a passing whim. Unbelief, it says, an evil heart. Because what they're doing here, and this is unbelief staring us in the face, what they did was to deny the covenant love of God toward them and through them to the entire world. They were denying the covenant faithfulness of God in the same way. And these persons themselves, that only a few weeks before God had said, you are my special people, they are now self-depreciating. We're no good, we're no more worth than a grasshopper. We're, we're so insignificant, these 
people of Canaan will just brush us off unless they tread on us. And in there I hear self-hate, self-despising, because they're ashamed that they can't take the land. Uh, and so you mix all the... They're angry. And they, they turn their anger upon Moses. Stone him. Get rid of him. Appoint another leader. Let's go back to slavery. That's the comfort zone. Boy, do you remember the food? Boy, I can smell it now on the barbecue. Oh, yes. Do you remember the safety we had? It's amazing how we reinterpret the past. But that, that's what they were doing. And they frustrated the purposes of God for one entire generation. There's 40 years there. A whole generation in which all they did was wander in circles in a trackless desert until their children were old enough to take what they had refused to take. They saw themselves as impotent grasshoppers. But then they added to it and said, therefore, I mean, obviously what we're saying is the truth. We are little hopping grasshoppers. That's all we are. So therefore, in the light of that truth, those inhabitants of Canaan, they see us as grasshoppers. How we see ourselves is, of course, how everyone else sees us. I know I'm no good, so everybody, they, they know I'm no good. I, I know I'm worthless, I'm useless, so everybody knows that. They said, to talk about this leaves one almost speechless that they could do it. Yet on the other hand, walking in real life, yes, we've all been here to one degree or another. They saw themselves as the laughing stock of Canaan. They saw themselves as defeated before they even started. They, they saw the entire mission to be so ridiculous, a bunch of grasshoppers hopping up to the walls of these gigantic warriors. No, we abort the mission before it gets worse. Because, says Hebrews, it was not united with faith. They heard it, but it was just hearing it. They didn't unite it with faith. And that resulted, we read it, in panic. I mean, real panic. All you want to do is run for our lives back into the arms of Pharaoh. Panic. Senseless panic. Despair that erupted into weeping and howling as only Eastern folks can. But Caleb, one man, I mean Moses too, but... I'm talking about the people that were involved in this. But Caleb, one man, I said this last week, one man against three million. And as we saw, God said he's of a different spirit. Well, what was the difference? What did faith 
do in this situation that these other people who knew the words of God but did nothing with them? What's the difference? The first thing that impresses me is that Caleb, how can I say, there's a carefreeness about him. I mean, you, you read this again. Um, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. Hey, chaps, the, the land was everything God says it, it was. And seeing that the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us to the land. It, it, it's a, the, He does not, maybe this is a good play, he doesn't judge the situation. He doesn't say this is a bad situation. He doesn't say, boy, we've really got something on our hands now. No, you guys, I know where you're coming from. He doesn't judge it, nor does he really say that it's a good situation. He leaves the situation out of it. He he says, seeing that the Lord delights in us, that's something. That's where we begin. Not whether this is a good situation or a bad situation. It doesn't make any difference. Situation. We're dealing with a God who loves us. So if I don't judge this situation as a good situation or a bad one, I don't do either of those things. What do I say? I say, the Lord, the Lord who loves us is. And this situation is. That's where we start the discussion. The situation isn't good or bad. It simply is. It's the way it is. So don't, don't start saying how terrible it is. It just is. That's what is. Don't say we want to be back in Egypt. You're not. You're here. It is. And in the middle of this is, we are the persons who receive the love, pleasure, and delight of the God of all the earth. And we've seen a revelation of him already in Egypt and in the wilderness. The Lord is with us. He, have you noticed that? He said, the Lord is with us. Where did you last hear that phrase? It was with Joseph. Joseph. 450 plus years before, when he was brought into Egypt as a slave, he was saying as he wrote his own diary, the Lord was with Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph, and Caleb has lived with that. He said, the Lord is with us, the Lord is with us. We don't go in there just as natural persons, we go in clothed in the blessing of God. And then he says, we are able. And he spoke in the present tense. Do not fear them, he says. They shall be our prey. It's present tense. So he doesn't see himself as a grasshopper. He sees himself as a God-endued warrior. He, he sees Well, let me put it like this, and this is certainly not in the Bible um, as such. It's it's a fact. I mean, 
Did you know what a locust is? I mean, now people fear locusts. I mean, locusts. The locusts will descend upon a green forest and within a few hours, there's not a leaf left. Locusts are monsters that just eat everything ahead of them. Still do. Do you know how locusts come into being? I mean, the truth is... Locusts don't hatch little baby locusts. Do you know what a locust is? It's a grasshopper. A grasshopper that has gone through a change. And the change has turned this insignificant little wimp of an insect into a locust, which is the fear of multitudes in in the Africas anyway. And as I say, that's, I'm just comment. They said they were grasshoppers. Well, <laughs> Caleb saw that he may in size be no better than a grasshopper before these persons standing in the way. But in actual fact, he has been locusized. He has been covenantized. And he says, when I go into that land, those persons will see this gigantic grasshopper, if that's how you want to call it. And he said, they've lost their protection. They, they have no rights to that land. They yielded their rights to that land with their abominable idolatry. It's there. We go. We take it. Caleb thus saw himself and indeed he saw do, do you really he saw th- this is amazing i could spend a long time here i'm not going to but he saw these weeping howling unbelieving people he saw them as he saw himself that is you people walking in your unbelief and panic and fear if only you knew who you were We, all of us, yes, you who are terrified in the corner of your tent, come on out. You see, while they were terrified in fear, in actual fact, they had the Lord with them to enable them with superhuman ability to take what he had given them. Caleb was saying of himself, but he was saying it of everybody. He was saying what God had said. He was thinking the thoughts that God thought about them. And then he said the words that God had already said about them. He said it, spoke it, faith speaks. This is what united with faith looks like thinking God's thoughts along with him, saying God's words with him, which actually is the meaning of confess, confess, say with, say together with. It's interesting, he doesn't call a prayer meeting. There are some things that God has said. He has reinforced his word And it is for us to speak the word in our mouth of faith which says with God what God has said. 
Go get it. All of these scouts had seen the same situation. Caleb saw what they saw. But it's what it's the glass that you look through and the covenant promise, the sworn oath of God that he was with them was the stained glass through which Caleb saw. And actually there was one part, uh, the area of Hebron, and when Caleb saw it, it was where it would appear the chief of the Anaks lived. And Caleb, when he saw it, he said, what a magnificent place. This is what I'm claiming for me when we come back in the land. It took him another 45 years before he would do that, but he, in his heart, lived there. Whereas the others looked at the same place and melted with fear. It's, it's how, how you see it. You see, he, he was... How can I put it? He was seeing through the situation to the God who was covenant Lord of the situation. Or could I put it this way? There's a, there's a strange verse in Isaiah. It says, before they call, I will answer. That's weird. Before they call, I will answer. That is... Before you pick up the phone to call, I will already answer you. That is, before you express the need, I've already the answer. If you can take that away from this hour, it will change your life. The covenant Lord, ultimately, I say, because this that we're reading was the New Testament in embryo. This is the seed packet. When this grows to fullness, we call it the New Testament. And what we're dealing with here ultimately is the revelation of the covenant God in Jesus. God from God who made covenant, the new covenant with his own blood. So this is all applicable to us. The covenant Lord had already given them Canaan. He already had given himself to them to be their strength to go in and take. Okay, with you and I, already through Jesus Christ, every area of my life, of my inner person, my true self, Every area in my emotions, my feelings, and in my mind and my mental process, from my heart self, through my mind, through my feelings, through the cells of my body, through all that I touch, I have been joined through Jesus Christ to the Father and all of that now present in the Holy Spirit. I, I, there's, there's nothing in life that doesn't fall under that. And whenever we pray, we had better see through our situation to that, else we'll just be howling words. No, we pray for that which has already been given us. We dare to desire that which God says is ours through Jesus Christ. 
So we ask for what is ours. And then we say with God, it is so. That's the meaning of the word amen at the end of our prayer. And so Caleb looked at this situation as the opportunity for the Lord. The Lord who already was the answer. Please understand that. They didn't have to get an answer. The Lord was already the answer. He'd already committed himself. The situation was an opportunity for that answer that the Lord already was to be made manifest. You could say that this situation was in front of them in order that he, their covenant lover, who was pressing himself through them to be made manifest in this situation, be made manifest in their weakness. The Lord who was greater than the situation. Caleb saw the Lord as already the answer. He said, it's a matter for us to go and take it, like picking an apple off a tree. And that's, how, that's faith. That's united with the word. You see, it's not just the word, it's faith that unites and says, here, now, this is it. By the way, it's not magic. This is where lots of people get really uh, astray. It's not magic. That is standing there on the desert side of Keresh Barnea, for Caleb to say what he's just said doesn't mean that Anak and all the other inhabitants of Canaan would just go, puff, and they're gone. So now let's just go in and... No. (laughs) Caleb said that, and these characters, demonized characters, are still there just a few miles away from where they were standing. Now, it's not magic. Faith is not magic. Faith doesn't just make things go away. Because having said that, Caleb said, now let's go and take it. That is, yeah, we're going to get into Canaan. We're going to have the mud of Canaan on our boots and we're going to stand in front of these people people and we're going to surround their cities yes we're going to go and take it and we'll we'll smell the reek of their foul breath and we'll see their disgusting bodies and we'll stand before those walls that tower above us yes but as we do so we will be acting as if We are clothed with divine wisdom and strength. We will act as if they see us as God's divine warriors and flee before us. We must go in and we must face them. But as we do so, act as if indeed the Lord is with us and watch for the victory. Nor does faith necessarily change your feelings. I mean, anybody that sees what they had seen, they're going to have some negative feelings. Even if it's just passing, but they're going to... It takes your breath away. No, 
What I'm talking about is the act of my spirit, not my mind, because my mind works all this out and comes up with a conclusion, it's impossible. But my heart that has seen everything we've been talking about, my heart says, I will, to will the will of God. And I take courage, and courage is a word that comes from from the word heart in ancient languages. And, And courage is a heart matter. So when my feelings, if I bothered to listen to them, would say you're crazy, and when your mind concludes you are crazy, courage says I am going in. I will do the will of God. I will not be defined by appearances or circumstances. I will only be defined by the word of God. See, people, I've heard people say, well, if I I obey God and don't feel like it, that's hypocrisy. That is balderdash. No, you don't have to feel like obeying to obey. You obey because in your heart you know it's the truth to obey. Of all these people, Caleb is the only one who stands there as, what shall I say, a person who is whole. You know what I mean? Perfectly well. He's whole in his inmost self and his mind and his emotions, his whole outlook on life. He's a whole person. He's a healthy person. The others, no, they have so many mental, emotional issues from the past and their abuse is still in the memory of their bodies and organs. And I mean, they're a mess. That's why they talk like they do and do what they do. But Caleb had been healed in his inmost self through to his outermost person. He had been made whole by the word of God and by laying hold upon it. And all of that, though it's not apparent too much, in, in, it is there. But it's through the Holy Spirit that that takes place. Strengthened by the Spirit is the New Testament word. But I want to emphasize in these last minutes, it's actually, as I look at the whole story, I don't think Caleb had been affected beyond... The, the horror of living as a slave in Egypt, but it had never come through to cut his soul. He had always rested in what God said. And with every brick he made in Egypt, he was watching in his inmost self for the day when God would take them back to the land of promise. So in that sense, he was carried through that in wholeness. But certainly, everything that had happened in the last months, going right back to the plagues and on through in the word that God had spoken so recently, 
All of that had been healing to Caleb. He had believed it. He'd rested his soul upon it. And the result was inner strength, mental strength, emotional strength. And what we're talking about is not some something that just happens in the spiritual world. But this gives me mental, a mind of steel. It gives me emotions upheld by peace and by joy. It gives me a body that is strengthened. It fills me with hope. And I believe that I am speaking to many persons and you've had a pretty bad past, if that's where you want to go. But to recognize that Jesus himself not only took your sins, he took your pains, your grief, your sorrow. He got inside the very depth of our abusive past and he carried it to death. He carried you in the embrace of love and he raised you with him in resurrection. And now the Holy Spirit within you would make you a whole person. As you lay hold upon Jesus and the life that he has brought, not merely as the word about, but lay hold, unite with faith that that is mine. And whether I'm speaking of your home and domestic life, your work life, wherever that lay, your school, your college, your university, your relational life, all in any of those areas you can come to impossible but at that time see yourself as you truly are united with jesus christ and the almighty power of his love to you in you through you his wisdom in you through you and that seeing as he takes delight in you Let's go in and take what is ours and imprint our history with the very presence of God. I trust the Holy Spirit will make this very alive to you. And next week we shall continue in this fascinating character who was the man of faith. And now... God himself, God who is love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be with you, empower you, uphold you, strengthen you, be the possible in you in the impossible situation you face. This God revealed in Jesus bless you and all who are yours this day, this week, and forevermore. That's the way it is. Amen.